0: Welcome to the Fairview Church podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Will you stay standing as we read aloud God's Word together in honor of it this morning. This comes from Matthew chapter seven, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. You can be seated. This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing in our sermon series, Disciples, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to have Jesus as our rabbi. And this morning, what we're going to look at and what we're going to talk about is how do we build our house upon the rock? I almost started this sermon with us singing the song. The foolish man built his house upon the... The foolish man, not the wise man. Sand, right? We have these stories that we learn as kids, and we are going to look at what it really means to truly understand Jesus's words, because that's what it means to build our house upon the rock to hear Jesus correctly, and then to apply it into our lives. He says, whoever hears the words of mine and acts on them is a wise man. But the question we're gonna ask ourselves is, well, how can we really discern Jesus's voice? I wanna start off with the question, have you ever believed something to be true, but it turned out to be false? Like maybe you just kind of grew up with it. You never challenged the presupposition and, and it ended up being false. Let me kind of share one of those experiences with you. This was a couple of years into our marriage and did one of the things you're never supposed to do. All right, and that is compare a meal that your mom made compared to your wife's meal. And my mom growing up made the most incredible macaroni and cheese. In my mind, it was a generational recipe that had passed down. It took hours to make. I'm pretty sure at some point we had a cow that I didn't know about that we made the cheese ourselves. It was that good. It was incredible. And Amber tried to make good macaroni and cheese. She makes great macaroni and cheese. It just was never like my mom. So one day we go to my parents' house for holiday and I said, mom, can you make us that homemade macaroni and cheese? And she goes, what are you talking about? I said, you know that macaroni and cheese that's been passed down through generations? And she goes, you mean Velveeta? And she grabs the box of Velveeta. <laughs> my whole childhood collapsed in front of me. And so that's one of the times. Now, let me share with you a few others. This week, we're gonna play a game. Things John learned last week, okay? First, bats, they're not blind. Did you guys know that? You did? I didn't know that. I thought bats were blind. Salt doesn't make your water boil faster. Instead, it raises the boiling point so it actually makes it longer to boil, bagpipes. The first iteration of bagpipes are from the Middle East. Guys, this week, this is what I was 35 years old when I learned that you don't have to wait 20 minutes before you eat to go into the pool. Are you kidding me? You know how many times hours collectively over my 35 years that I have waited to go into the pool because I ate something. You don't have to do that. Now, you might say, well, these are silly. These are inconsequential. Let's talk about some others. For example, if you grew up a thousand years ago in a Christian household, the topic of conversation was, does the sun revolve around the earth or does the earth revolve around the sun? And if you were a Christian, you would have believed that based on Ecclesiastes chapter one, that the sun revolves around the earth. And you would have said in your household, if that proves to be false, then it undermines the entirety of scripture. And yet today, I don't know one Christian who would say that the sun revolves around the earth or one Christian that would say that actually undermines the scripture. Why? Because we know that the earth revolves around the sun. And we know that Ecclesiastes chapter one is written from a perspective of somebody here on earth. And it wasn't trying to describe a scientific method. Let's go a couple more centuries. Time of Martin Luther. You had these systems within the church that had developed. One of those was called indulgences and there were some major abuses within that system. For example, there's a guy named Johann Tetzel, John Tetzel. He was an indulgence collector and he would go around and he would say things like, hey, if you would like your deceased relative to get out of purgatory faster, give me some money. Guess what? If you sinned, give me some money and I can get that clear. One day a guy walks up to Johann Tetzel and says, Hey, can I pay for a sin? I haven't committed yet. Of course, Tetzel's like, absolutely. (laughs) Sure. And he he says, what's, what's the sin? And you, and this young man says theft. So Johann Tetzel gives him a price, he pays it, and then robs everything that Tetzel had with him. All the money. Now imagine, though, you grew up in that system, and that's what you believe to be true. Maybe that's too far away. Let's talk about maybe a couple, just a couple, three centuries ago. You're a Christian. You grew up in the South, and you believe that it's okay for another human to own another human as property. And then it's okay to discriminate based on color and you use the bible to affirm your position. What do you do then? Maybe that's too far away. Let's talk about modern day. Modern day, we have things that are similar to the the revolving of the sun argument where people argue a certain position from scripture and say, this is uniquely connected to the integrity of scripture, and yet, it's not. Or how about the me first, everyone else second attitude that we've developed, where it's about my wants, my desires, my community, and instead of what scripture describes as a kingdom-focused vision for all nationalities, all people to flourish, Not just me, not my not just my community, not just my own country, but everyone. There's certain subsections of culture, for example, that elevate and push godly perspectives into ungodly perspectives. So for example, we can recognize and acknowledge differences between men and women as they're described in scripture, but there are groups of people that take that, they elevate that to the point where they're creating abusive systems for women by saying, your husbands get the, it's my way or the highway approach. That's not okay. We have to recognize that in our own Christian thinking, that in our effort to build our house on the rock, sometimes we put up our own decorations. And what Jesus does from his word is he challenges disciples. He shakes the foundation so that our decorations will fall. And what we're actually left is with the, the word of God as he intended. Looking at the word of God through the lens of God's will and Jesus's character and the power of the spirit in our lives. Instead of just creating our own fabrication and using the Bible to condone or to approve of all the things that we want to see. Jesus challenges the beliefs of his disciples. We saw... uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about the foundation of discipleship is humility, looking for the presence of God, sitting and listening. Last week, we talked about the rhythms of a disciple and the practices that we can build into our life. Today is all about learning to listen to God's voice, making him an authority. 2 Corinthians 3:13:5 tells us to examine ourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize it's about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. This is not just talking about looking at our actions. It's it's causing disciples to look at their life and saying is what I really believe in line with Jesus's character and his word? Is it really in line or have I developed this myself? So let's look at Matthew chapter five, verse 21 as an example of how Jesus challenges his disciples' beliefs. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults, His brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, You fool, will be subject to hellfire. Let's look at what Jesus does here. We're going to use this as an example. The first phrase he uses is You have heard that it was said. What Jesus does is he brings up, hey, you've heard this. This is your constructive belief. This is the belief that you are currently under in. the the belief of your ancestors that if you murder, you are liable to judgment. But look at what he says. He says, but I say to you. He challenges them. He challenges his disciples' belief and he says, listen, you've heard it this way, but I'm about to tell you something different. Jesus often pushes against the beliefs of the people of this day to say, you are either misunderstanding or you're not getting it right and I need to inform you of what a Jesus ethic actually looks like. If you want to be my disciples and I'm going to be your rabbi, This term that Jesus uses is a term that we've kind of coined in popularity the past few years, but it's just a term we call deconstruction. He is deconstructing the beliefs that we've had so that he can reconstruct them back again. Now, the difference between Jesus's understanding of deconstruction and maybe modern day is that in modern day deconstruction, we're not giving people the tools on how to reconstruct their faith in a healthy and positive manner. Over the past several years, we've had Christian artists, Christian uh, you know, authors and YouTube influencers deconstruct from the faith. And there's a variety of reasons on why that is. I've talked to people within this church, out in the community that have deconstructed. I've heard... Tons of stories about people who have deconstructed the faith. And you know what all of them have in common? I haven't found one who's found rest. They all end up living in this lifestyle of cynicism and skepticism because they haven't learned how to rebuild. Some of you in this room this morning, maybe you know somebody who has deconstructed from the faith and they're sitting in that. Some of you might be asking those questions right now. And that's a good thing. Listen, Jesus challenges our belief. Another common denominator that I see from the stories and all the testimonies that I hear. Is that oftentimes some of them are about misconceptions. It's about the reason why they walked away was after, it was because of a misrepresentation or a misunderstanding of actually what the Bible says. I've known some who've walked away because they say, look, that argument is so strong. And I would respond with, well, maybe you just don't know your position well enough. This is not to discredit people who are in the process of deconstruction or that there's no other good voices out there of authority. But what I find to also be a denominator is that when they deconstruct, they remove God, the Bible, Jesus' word, his character, and completely push it to the side as if it doesn't have any type of bearing on the decision that they're going to make. Deconstruction is not a bad or good thing. The problem with modern deconstruction is that they're leaving out deconstruction is that they're leaving out the reconstruction of their faith. And so that's why I want us to spend time walking through because Jesus challenges them, but look at how he reconstructs. He says, you've heard it said from your ancestors, but I say to you, what does Jesus do? He replaces one form of authority with another, we know that they thought this was amazing, because at the end of what we just read, they said, they all stood there thinking, "Wow, we've never heard authority like this, not even from their scribes. do they understand this?" And so we know that, that they looked at this and they, they saw power in what Jesus was sharing. So how do we build our faith? Well, first, it's not removing Jesus from the center. Any faith rebuilding that removes Jesus and his character, and for that matter, God's will, the Father's will, and the power of the Spirit, any belief system that is going to remove that and reconstruct without it is gonna leave you at a house on sinking sand. That has to be the core in this discussion. We cannot replace God's voice with something else as we're reconstructing. But with that said, let's look at a house or a pyramid for that matter. How do we reconstruct our faith, our belief system? The first is reliance on the Holy Spirit. Reliance on the Holy Spirit. The disciples had Jesus physically to ask questions. Well, we can ask Jesus those things as well. Jesus tells us he's given us a greater helper, a greater guide, the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. For the first few decades of Christianity, they did not have the letters that would form our New Testament. It was about a faith that was passed down. How did the early Christians know what to believe? They relied on the Holy Spirit and the teaching that was passed down. They relied on the spirit to guide them and give them wisdom. First Corinthians two tells us we have received what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. The first and foremost, the, the thing that Christians as disciples, we have to do is we have to ask ourselves, even before we get to sacred scripture, is ask, spirit, guide me, give me wisdom, help me to understand. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Have you ever seen the pictures that have a glass and there's water in them halfway? Who's my glass half empty folks in here? None of you. You're all glass half full folks. you all positive. Well, that's really good. How do you know when you look at a picture if it's half empty or half full? It's based on your perspective, Right? What the spirit does, it informs us on how to see the world. And it informs us on how to see reality, whether it's half full or half empty. We must have the spirit. Second thing on this pyramid is sacred scripture. If we believe that this is the word of God that's useful for all disciples, that it's inspired by God, To equip us for every good work. Then we can't remove it from the equation. The earliest Christians. Were looking at the scriptures. And they were asking themselves. How do I apply this? What does this mean for my life? They were relying on the Holy Spirit. And the deposit of faith that was being passed down from generation to generation. On how to understand these words. This is pivotal for a disciple. The word of God is so much more than 2 Timothy 3, 16, when it says it's useful for correction. Look at these verses. The word of God has the power to convict us of sin, to teach us truth, and to lead us in righteousness. It is a living and active sharper than any two-edged sword to convict us of sin and dispel our self-deception. So when we're deconstructing and that's motivated by sin or motivated by self-deception, guess what helps us to discern that? Scripture. Let us not be like those who cast aside the word of God, preferring instead the empty promises of this world. Let us treasure the word of God, hiding it in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. Why do we go to scripture? Why do we teach Awana to our kids? Because one day when they're deconstructing, they can look back and think to themselves the scripture that they devoted to themselves and, to, and in their family and treasuring it in their heart. When we need guidance, the word of God is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. The modern world and the data that it provides may change, but the word of God endures forever. Every word of God is pure. There's no deception in it. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. If you are in the midst of deconstructing or doubting and you feel lost, you feel like you're not steady. Guess what? God's word is a refuge for you. We acknowledge our reliance on the Holy Spirit as we read sacred scripture to help us to discern and to study and to learn. But there's some other things as well in this pyramid that will help us to reconstruct our faith. The next one on the pyramid is church witness. We have millennia of men and women who have contributed to Christian thought and how to look at God's word how to understand it and apply it. Now, it's not the same guide. It's not the same authority as the Holy Spirit and sacred scripture, but it is a guide. It is helpful for us to look at the church witness and ask, what did you think about this? And the general rule of thumb is we start early and we move backwards to our time. Why? Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more likely it is that they understood it better than we do. Why? Because they're learning from the disciples, of the disciples, of the disciples, of the actual 12 disciples. Church witness is so important. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to what? The scriptures you were taught? The traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or by what we wrote. Just think about this. Paul is describing to the church. Listen, we have sacred scripture, but we're also passing down how you should look at these scriptures so that you don't take it for your own advantage to bully other people with it or do whatever. Whatever. Psalm tells us one generation will declare their works to the next. How do people know God's word? How do they understand what God's word says? By one generation declaring it to another. It's about the church witness informing us in these areas. It help us to look at our house that we're building and saying, "Okay, what, is there a decoration I'm putting up here that is inconsistent with Christian history? If it is, that's a red flag." And the problem, by the way, is when we start to conflate our traditions in our house with the very foundation itself. We need to test ourselves. Fourth is godly counsel. Godly counsel. Now, I'm going to harp on this for a second, and I hope you don't mind. To me, this is the most overlooked. Psalm 19, excuse me, Proverbs 19:20 tells us this. Listen to counsel and accept discipline or receive instruction so that you may be wise later in life. Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Now look at Proverbs 11. Without guidance, a people will fall, but with many counselors, there is deliverance. I've known so many people who have come to me and said, hey, I'm leaving the faith because of this topic here or because of this issue here or because of this thing here. I've known marriages that have fallen apart, and I don't even know about it until it's fallen apart. And I'll ask them, did you talk to anybody about this? Your theological question, have you talked to any, have you expressed these concerns? Have you expressed these questions? In your marriages, have you gone to to seek out counsel in these areas? And I cannot tell you how many times, more often than not, I get the answer, no, we haven't done any of that. Godly counsel is key to understanding all of the Christian life. If you're questioning the faith, Christian counsel is the very thing that you need in your life to speak into it. And here's what I have seen time and time Again people will confuse godly counsel with people that they just hear on a social media platform. Your three-minute three minute TikTok theologian is simplifying a lot. Truth is a lot more complicated than they're letting on. And a lot of times students will come to me with questions because they're saying, I heard this guy say on TikTok, this thing, and it was about three minutes long. And now I've got to inform them that truth is a lot more complicated than this, that there is centuries of discussion on this topic. And I don't even know where to begin because they've, the person has simplified it so much. And they take that as authoritative. When I ask the question, well, why? Did you wait so long to come to me to talk about it or to another godly person to talk about it? Now, I have a question. I didn't do this in the first service and I should have, but I have a question. and I want you to stand up if this applies to you, okay? If you would say that God has radically changed your life, I want you to stand up. Okay. If you're in this room and you're deconstructing and you're doubting there are hundreds of stories in here about the faithfulness of God that even if you are unsure there are men and women and students in this room who have a story to tell about God and what he has done. So, while that doesn't solve maybe the intellectual problems that you may be thinking about, it should at least make you think about the power of God and what He can do, even when you're in your midst of your doubting. You can sit down. But this is what godly counsel does they share their stories, they disciple, they mentor. They make sure that every single person has somebody speaking into their life so that when somebody does have questions and they will, every single person I have known, including myself, walks through seasons where they ask the question, am I really sure about this or what about this? And what we have to do as disciples is we have to look to God's word and we have to say, Jesus, show me where I have made a decoration of something and show me what your real truth says. Show me the house that I have built because I want it to be Jesus and his word alone, not the things that I want to add to it. That means that when I am studying scripture, I'm not just finding people that I like to support my position. But I'm looking at those authors. I'm looking at those YouTube personality people. I'm looking at the artists and I'm asking, what is their lifestyle like? What's their background like? What are their other beliefs in these other areas? Because a lot of times there are other red flags that you can see that will lead you in a different direction to take them as an authority. And that's where you need godly counselors who have walked this life to say, hey, you may want to avoid that, or this person, or this person's very simplistic, and you really need to think about this. Godly counsel is so important, and yet I believe it's one of the ones that is most downplayed. Last but not least, rhythms. Rhythms of practice. First Timothy four six says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irrelevant silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Don't hold on to silly myths. But instead, train yourself for godliness. We talked about that last week. Look at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Those are practices. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. When we are in the midst of doubting and having deconstruction... The best thing you can do is to continue to pray, continue to read his word, continue to meet with your mentor, continue to be generous, continue to serve. From my experience in times where I've experienced the dark night of the soul, when I've been depressed or when I have felt distant from God, in my experience, when I have kept practicing and trusting in God, even when it was difficult to do so, there's a moment in the future where I wake up and the light bulb goes off and I say, God, thank you for being there. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for loving me. Even when I was so uncertain about it, Remembering, through the practice of remembering in your Christian walk, when you are in the midst of this, deconstruction is powerful because you're remembering what God has done. When Amber and I were church planting, it was really difficult spiritually and it was a season of depression in my own life. And one of the things that we did was we had a God moments board. It's every time we've seen God moving in our marriage in, a, in an amazing way. And oftentimes, even when I didn't feel like it, I would have to look at that board and I have to remember, God, you were faithful here. God, you were good here. God, you came through here. And so even though I'm doubting this particular thing right now, I know you're still good. I know you're great. I trust your word because of this. Remembrance is a powerful key if you're walking through this season. So let's wrap this up. Jesus challenges the beliefs of his people. And it takes humility for us to receive that and say, Lord, where have we put up things that are not consistent in your word? Where have we adopted cultural ideas and just supplied them within our church? Where have we allowed ourselves to allow these accretions or these things to kind of fester within our systems that are not biblical? Where have we as your church, as your disciples, Elevated certain things when they shouldn't be. We have to ask ourselves, each individually and as a church, and the church at large. Jesus, what, what is your way? That's what disciples do. They check themselves and they say, where in me am I not believing correctly? Remember, Jesus says, Whoever builds my house on the rock hears it and does it. We have to say, Jesus, where am I getting it wrong? Where am I getting it right? And allow me to do that. The things that are good, the things that are profitable, the things that you want from me. Else, we are not his disciples. If you believe differently than what Christ's character would demand, you're not his disciple. If you don't practice the things that Jesus has called us to do, you're not his disciple. But praise God that even when his own disciples didn't do the things that he asked, he had grace and patience with them. Everyone who hears the words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's the call for every disciple, that's what it means. So if you're struggling, if you're doubting, if you're in this process of deconstruction, don't give up. Read his word, rely on the spirit, seek godly counsel, continue to practice. Look at the early church witnesses and throughout the generations about how to look at his word and understand it. Study it, memorize it, put it into practice. For those of you who know people who are going through this process, on one hand, encourage them that Jesus demands this of all of his disciples. But second, give them a warning. If they don't keep Jesus at the center and his word at the center of reconstructing that faith, they will end up in a thousand other areas and it's not going to be the will of God. As disciples, we accept Jesus's challenge of our beliefs and we walk forward asking the Lord, show us where do we go from here as we reconstruct our belief and faith. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would be with those in this room this morning that are struggling, that are for all purposes deconstructing. On one hand, God, I'm grateful that they're honest and they are questioning their beliefs. But Lord, we ask that you do not let them stay there in cynicism or skepticism, but Lord, that they would be brought to a place of hope, of encouragement, that there is a giver of truth and you have provided that for us. God, ultimately our faith is not one of just religious practice but of a relationship with the one who defined all of reality. So Lord, help us to understand and remember that no matter what we're going through, we can rely on the one who created the world, the one who saved us, who sent his son to die for us, the one who provided the solution for our greatest need to be reunited and connected with God And Lord, we know that if you have done that for us, then you will supply all wisdom to those who ask when we're seeking questions of faith. Lord, I pray for those who are walking away from the Lord. I pray it would not be over a misconception that they've been taught, a faulty gospel that they've been taught. But Lord, I pray that they had a people to surround them, to give them godly counsel, to show them the beauty of you and that your word is forever, that it is a shield, it is a refuge for those who believe. Lord, I pray we would take comfort, not in our own interpretations of scripture, but we would take comfort in knowing that you are a God who spoke to us who showed us how much you love us through your Son, who supplied us with the Holy Spirit, and who also gave us words of wisdom found in your holy book, would help us to acknowledge and accept that as your disciples. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www. Dot